Good morning, everyone. It's an absolute pleasure to be here at Bright and Early, kicking off the panel sessions at Capital Link um, today during London International Shipping Week. I'm Kate Silverstein from Watson, Valley and Williams, and I'm delighted to be joined by our panellists for this session, who really need no lengthy introduction from me, and I'm sure will be familiar names to you all. Um, but, but quickly, we have uh, Carl Johan Hegman of uh, NYK Group Europe, Claire Wright um, of Shell in the Shipping and Maritime, Jan Rimbo from Norden, Constantin Bach from MPC Container Ships, and Knut Orbeck Nielsen of DMB Maritime. I think there is no danger that we will run out of uh, discussion points given the topic today, navigating through industry transformation. Um, we've already heard this morning from Tom that there's transformation everywhere, and I think few would dispute that. Um, so I think we really should get started. We hope to have a little bit of time at the end to open the floor to questions as well. So what is transforming the industry? Well, Carl, if I could start with you, what are the key areas where you think we will see industry transformation over the next decade? Well, thank you and good morning. Um, well, I think before we, we, we talk about the transformation ahead of us, I, I think we should just remind ourselves that many of us are actually just, just trying to cope with, with sort of sh shipping, shipping characteristics, which very much, I think, are the same today as they will be tomorrow, as they've been for hundreds of years. Um, the volatility in container freight rates, um, the war in Ukraine, we've had a number of ships stuck in Odessa and the company I represent, and so on and so forth, which actually sort of not only managing a transition, but actually managing your day-to-day -day business, and especially as the different sectors in shipping all have their own sort of idiosyncrasies and cyclicalities. So, so I think sort of just to contextualize the answer, but then I, I think from, a, I think, and I think all the panelists will say this in different forms, but I mean, it isn't, we're in the middle of a huge energy transition, which I think is both challenging and, and, and a lot of fun uh, in the sense that, that it really does set opportunities. And I, my two cents worth before I hand over the word is, is really we as ship owners and ship operators inability to, to really sign off on longer term offtake agreements with, with uh, new fuel suppliers to ensure that, that we build the supply chains as such, I think is, is really the, bi the biggest challenge that we are facing right now in the short term. Claire, do you have any input on the, on the same question? Yeah, I think I, I would agree. The challenge of the energy transition is probably going to be one of the dominating factors of the next decade. Obviously, what we have seen change this year is we have certainty coming out of MEPC 80 in that the IMO has adopted a net zero mid-century target, which obviously is a a big change and, and a very welcome one. What we would need to see is what are the midterm policy measures that will come in that actually enable that to happen and give us certainty in terms of investment, both as ship owners, but also charterers and also fuel suppliers. And I think one of the things that we're looking at is how do you actually take the uncertainty out of that? Uh, in Gastech last week, we launched a modular design for ships, so a ship that is designed to be retrofitted. And I think that is probably one of the changes from a ship perspective that we'll see over the next decade, is how do we remove that investment risk of stranded asset, but also enable the ship to transition quickly once those scalable zero-carbon fuels are known. Thank you. Constantin, do you have anything to add? Well, I... I guess I agree with, uh, with everything that was said, but maybe in addition, a, a very interesting aspect in my view going forward will also be how the uh, infrastructure um, onshore versus the investments in the ships 
that sail on these oceans will actually go hand in glove because that is a very decisive factor. We will, in the foreseeable future, not have either enough greener fuels or enough capacity to produce greener fuels. So the next 10 years will, in my view, dictate um, or will be very interesting to actually see how that transition uh, works out. That has uh, a couple of implications. Firstly, um, we need uh, new ships. Um, uh, there is a yard capacity shortage. Uh, that is going to be very interesting to see how that pays out over the next uh, five to ten years. And we will have to see a very significant investment in onshore infrastructure, be it fuel production, fuel infrastructure, supply infrastructure. So I think for the next ten years, those will be the very, very decisive um, aspects to look after. And it's going to be interesting uh, to see how companies, uh, regulators, um, and others will actually cope with this. And this, in my view, will be a, a very key in the industry transformation over the next 10 years. Thank you. Following on from this, can, you, can I ask you what do you think the biggest challenge will be? Well, I think we already, good morning, by the way. I think we already touched on um, several of the key challenges, uh, but maybe from a slightly different perspective. So the energy transition, uh, what we see is really that there is a transition on the technology side. We don't really see it on the fuel side yet. So although vessels are capable of burning different kinds of fuels, uh, we don't really see, and that was highlighted by, by several of the panelists, the, the lack of fuel. But um, in all of this, there's a heightened degree of complexity being introduced, and whether that's on the technology side, whether it's on the fuel side, uh, or indeed on the geopolitical scene. So I think the biggest challenge will be the seafarers because obviously after the pandemic, there's not that attractive to become a seafarer and we were struggling to recruit seafarers and the amount of upskilling that is required is quite tremendous if you move along with this pace of transformation. So that's my sort of take on it, thank you. Thank you. Jan, are there any other key challenges that you foresee? Yeah, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, well, there are plenty of challenges, and I think one is to bring customers more into the frame. I think we have a tendency in the industry to think too much in silos. Uh, and I think in that there's also a big challenge. Uh, you know, how can we make the shipping industry more relevant for our customers? And I think that, that um, uh, for me, it's not about decarbonizing shipping. It's about decarbonizing supply chains. And I think our customers will demand solutions uh, and expect solutions from us. So, and th therein lies the opportunity. Uh, you know, what, what can we do? And I think sometimes we are focusing too much on 2050. Uh, there are actually many, many things that we can do already today. Um, it does not take a huge investment to reduce uh, emissions quite significantly uh, already today. So I think that, that um, Sometimes, you know, more focus on, on being pragmatic and what we can do today. And we are already delivering green freight products to our customers uh, today. And uh, I think there will be, you know, much more demand for that in the future. Thank you. So clearly, there's a lot of transformation going on. We've looked at sort of what, what those areas are, but how are we going to navigate this? Um, Constantine, can I ask you what... When you're sort of making decisions within your organization, long-term decisions around transformation, um, what are the most important considerations for you? 
Well, first of all, I think one needs to appreciate where, where we are. Uh, we are in a cyclical industry, but we are also, and uh, Knut has just mentioned it, in a technology cycle or, or transition in a way. Um, and that is important to appreciate. Secondly, and very importantly, we're also uh, in, in quite a, a fast-changing environment with digitization, AI, a lot of things will change uh, exponentially. Um, and that is also something that you need to have as a fundament for, for your decision kit, in, in my view at least. And last but certainly not least, from a pure geopolitical uh, environment standpoint, I guess we are in the, in the less uh, stable uh, environment than we have been during the last 30 years. So all of that comes together in a time where we will see a transformation of technology, uh, fuel, etc. So I think this is, is very important. And then, of course, with a lot of new things coming up, in my view, you need to get exposure. What does that mean? New exposure. You need to partner up with others. We, for example, we have, you know, internally have sourced new people, more looking at data analytics, data scientists, chemists, which is not the usual thing that a ship owner would do, uh, but really to ramp up the, uh, the staff and, and invest in people, and also externally to get involved in all kinds of institutions and, and initiatives to, to basically broaden your reach in terms of building up their own intelligence. Uh, we are active member of the Mass McKinney Center of Zero Carbon Shipping, active member in the Silk Alliance. We've invested in a, in a, a synthetic fuel startup. Slowly but surely, uh, I think it's, you shouldn't uh, exaggerate it, but very, very importantly to take it step by step and remain adaptable and flexible and agile in, in this environment. I think this is key. Keep your organization flexible. Don't go all in. Uh, there will be a lot of surprises in the next 10 years that we will all be confronted with, be it the geopolitical side or technology. And therefore, I think it's important to be close to what is happening, but at the same time, don't overpace. An easy task, then. <laughs> Very easy. Um, Carl, do you agree? Do you have anything to add to this approach to yeah, long-term strategy? Yeah, I can pick up on, on Jan's comment that it's important to bring the cargo owner in, into this conversation because I, I think we, we do now have a challenge. I mean, cargo owners will not pay for this transition if they don't have to. Um, depending on the sector, some cargo owners have, have experienced somewhere between 500 and 1,000% rate increases over the last 24 months and have dropped back, of course. So, I mean, there is an ability to pay, but the willingness is certainly not there. And, and I think it has to do sort of here in the West that, that we have a characteristic of, of spot market, uh, so, so, sort of spot market attitude. So the company I represent, NYK, we have financial exposure in about 1,200 vessels. You can say half of that balance sheet is on contracts that are somewhere between 10 and 20 years long, which is really keeping Japan as an island afloat. And I think in a context where you have that kind of longevity, uh, I think it would be much, much easier to, to manage this transition where, where we need not only investments in technology, but most of all, we need predictability. And the spot market characteristics that we have in Europe or the cargo owners choosing to go short, in my view, is, 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 a, is, is a giant impediment to creating these new, completely new supply chains that, that, that we now require. And I would argue that the technology is there. Thank you. Um, so how can the shipping industry as a whole most effectively support and collaborate with each other to achieve this transformation? Um, Knut, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that should be a 
pretty straightforward <laughs> and an easy question to respond to. No, I think both um, Constantine and, and Carl and Jan uh, already touched upon, uh, touched upon it, and I'm happy to see the clearest on the panel as well, because uh, this is really about collaboration. And um, this is something that the industry will struggle to resolve by its own, e even though we collaborate inside of the industry and um, we will, as mentioned, need the, the charters on board. We'll, we'll need the fuel uh, uh, providers on board. Uh, but also we will need to engage with those that are producing the energy and the infrastructural uh, and the ports. And, and this is really what is required to make this sort of come home. And if you look at that, that's quite a daunting task. And um, my sort of bet is that that's not going to happen on a worldwide scale. We will need to bring that into smaller geographies. I mean, not small geographies, but take it one by one. And, um, and that's why we have the Green Corridors as one initiative, so to engage private and public partnership and rather do it by between two countries rather than try to scale it worldwide at once. So th there's a lot of collaboration activity that is needed and it goes sort of beyond this industry, even though we need to collaborate, it does go beyond. Thank you. So it's collaboration at all levels, really, I suppose. Um, and so working on the basis that a collaborative approach has to be uh, vital here, Claire, who do you think, is it anyone's responsibility to drive the change forward? I think echoing um, the previous speaker, it's everyone's responsibility, but there are different kinds of collaboration. So Green Corridors was mentioned that that generation of voluntary demand ahead of regulation uh, that sends a signal to fuel suppliers that there is demand for, for fuel. Um, working with other industries as well, which is something we don't talk about much in shipping. But historically, we've always used as a fuel a cargo that we've carried. So the feedstock for all future fuels will be renewable hydrogen. How will that be carried as a cargo? What will the demand for that be in other sectors? These things are critical for us as an industry to look at when we're thinking about how do we collaborate and what areas do we collaborate in. Uh, uh, technology has been mentioned. That's absolutely critical. As Jan said, there's many ways in which we can reduce our emissions today. Um, and there are many partnerships that different companies are working on in that technology space. Uh, we're, we've just um, launched a trial for methane abatement, for example, where we're testing a technology on a ship. That's one discrete example. Um, fuels, we're testing hydrogen um, from a safety perspective and how that reacts in a marine environment. Uh, and as well as, I guess I would focus on two kinds of collaboration. One is showing the regulator that as an industry we wish to decarbonize and we wish to transform. Um, we're a member of the Sea Cargo Charter, which is the first initiative for charterers to be transparent about what their emissions are, to understand them, and then obviously to work to reduce them against a trajectory aligned with the IMO's targets. That's one way in which charterers who haven't previously perhaps been as public in, in emissions reduction can show that. The other is safety, which is something we underestimate as a challenge. Seafarers have been mentioned. How do we make sure that the transformation is safe for them? And so these, this work in um, standard setting, regulations, um, testing fuels. Uh, our last week, uh, the only hydrogen carrier in the world docked at uh, Singapore, and our seafarers were able to explain 
the work, the role that they are playing in setting the standards and the handling uh, of hydrogen that is their contribution. And I think to go back to the earlier point on how do we make the industry attractive to seafarers, I think showing that there is a role to play for seafarers in that, in that transformation is part of that value proposition to them. Thank you. And can I ask, Constantine, do you have anything to input on that sort of driving forward and collaboration point? Well, I think collaboration, and we, the word has been mentioned, I think, by almost everyone here on this panel, but, but a live example, for example, we, we have also, you know, tried to create win-win situations. So, so in container shipping, uh, COAs, long-term COAs are very, very uncommon, uh, and, and, and we have established, uh, or we are in the process of establishing the first uh, green corridor in Northern Europe, where we have brought the cargo side, the charterer, and the owner together, um, building only two small ships, but it's step by step to establish the first green corridor. And it's, I think it's about creating win-win situations. And, and, and I, whilst I do agree to, to, to my co-panelists here um, that it's difficult to bring the cargo side on board, it can happen. And, and we have been able to get a 15-year COA and a 15-year charter contract and on the back of this uh, build uh, two smaller container ships um, that are currently being constructed in China. So I think collaboration, it, it does happen. It will take time. It will only be step by step. But I think this is the way forward, um, um, at least for the next 10 years, where we will not make uh, very big steps on a daily basis, but take it step by step. Thank you. I think you've also mentioned technology and how sort of digitization technology is going to transform the industry. Is there anything more to sort of say on that, you know, challenges or, or things that will arise from additional technology trial? Um, I think I'll just share one point. I spoke to a young seafarer, that makes me feel very old saying that, but um, who I thought would be really keen on the idea of digitalization. And he shared that the challenge was that when a sensor breaks, they have to go and fix it, but they're so busy with everything else that they don't have time because the challenge for him is all this digital data goes ashore and they don't see any of it. So I think digital gives us a framework, it gives us data, but it's the decisions we make and how we make uh, better decisions and also the lives of people in the industry easier that is the key to the success of actually using data. I'll just add to that, that the data is not, not the problem. We all have you know, abundance of uh, data, but it's converting data into decisions. And, um, and again, you know, we can use, I mean, artificial intelligence is a bit hyped at the moment, uh, but there are actually very good examples already of how we can use it to make better decisions. And a lot of it goes around existing vessels, existing fuel types, uh, and there's actually quite a bit we can do already. Uh, so in Norden, we operate 450 vessels, and by using data, uh, we are able to reduce um, emissions by 5%, just by looking at the chartering in uh, vessels, you know, doing some voluntary speed reductions, and, and, um, and that 5% saving on 450 vessels is the equivalent of Norton going out and ordering 23 methanol ships for the future. So we can move the needle already today uh, by doing some of the things and using data here, I think is critical. That's interesting, thank you. And so do, do you, would you say that you sort of see technology as maybe bridging some of that gap? Um, you know, we talked about 2050 and that we have to think about the here and the now. Um, Carl, do you have any thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I, I, just on the data point, I, I think there will be a watershed moment, 1st of January, when we have EU ETS and all of a sudden we pay money for this stuff and all of a sudden we have to have data in, in a granularity that we've not had had 
to do before. So, so I think that will that will speed up also the, the, the data shifts. But on just just getting it done on your last comment, I think that's that's for me is one of the most important things. That it's important that we don't have these sort of ongoing debates of, of what, what, what is the end goal, but rather that there's a lot of stuff that can be done today. And just to pick up on Claire's point, I mean, the whole retrofit uh, conversation where there are 80,000 vessels out there that are not extremely difficult to, to actually do, do things about. And in our company, I mean, just the complexity of it, five years ago, LNG was, was a, a uh, sustainable fuel. Three and a half years ago, according to the EU taxonomy, it was not, and now it is again. And, and of course, here we sit with, with an LNG fleet. On the other hand, we today have 30% less CO2 emissions than, than many, many of our competitors do, something that we're extremely proud of. It's not the end solution, but it's, it's, it's uh, a lot better than what the alternative, and that's that we had done nothing at all. So, so it is sort of going out there and, and, and taking the positions. And if I can then just brag our own company, as we've heard about hydrogen, this year we will be running the first uh, tugboat on ammonia. I mean, only six months or 12 months ago, people would say, no, ammonia you can't do. Uh, 2026, we think we're going to have tankers with ammonia. And just looking back, the conversations we had, sort of COP26 and what have you, I mean, just we don't think this is moving quickly, but it actually is. Uh, and I think we should, we should take a lot of inspiration from that. But that is because we just do things. And, and I think that's an incredibly important mindset. Thank you. No, that's very interesting. Um, and can you, do you have anything to add on the technology angle? Well, I think there's um, plenty of things that still can be done, and uh, I think Yvian mentioned it at the start. It's, it's important to focus on what can be done now, uh, rather than what many alluded to as being sort of the end goal. And um, what we see is that uh, energy efficiency is certainly going to be extremely important this decade in order to set us off on a good path. Uh, and if you consider the, the new IMO targets, I'm a little bit afraid to say this, but I think it's uh, very unrealistic that we will meet those. And that is, even though we are doing everything that we can on energy efficiency, uh, we will not be able to source sufficient green fuels by 2030 to really meet those targets. So that puts the shipping industry in an awkward place because obviously the pressure will be on to deliver and we will struggle to deliver and that's why it's so important to try and take out all the measures that's possible on the existing fleet and the new fleets on energy efficiency but also that we try to take out the inefficiencies in the value chain in the whole logistic chain because after all ships are waiting and uh, burning fuel while waiting and this is obviously something that can be dealt with and hopefully digitalization and technology can help us to optimize that better than it is today. Thank you. So I think it's, it's well documented that this transformation sort of across the board will bring an increase in costs for ship owners. Um, whether it's more expensive fuels, additional capex required for the technological shift. So how do you think ship owners of all sizes can best deal with this? Um, and, and again, going back to that point about what the industry as a whole can do to help them. Jan, could I ask you that first, please? Yeah, so, so I mean, clearly this transformation is going to cost a lot of money and, and uh, shipping on its own cannot bear that cost. Uh, so we need to bring you know, other stakeholders in. 
Uh, and I really see three drivers, you know, for the decarbonisation uh, of, of our industry. I think one is obviously regulation. You know, we do need that. And it is good to see the IMO is, is starting to move. And whether it's realistic or unrealistic, I think sending that signal and hopefully getting some real, reg you know, real hard regulation behind it, I think, is critical. Then we need to see customer demand. We need to see a willingness for customers to also be part of, this, uh, be part of that solution. And then, of course, as uh, ship owners and ship operators, you know, we have our own initiatives that we can do uh, that we've already shared here. There's you know, a lot of things that we can do already, and I think we should not you know, wait. Uh, um, you know, we should go and implement those thing, uh, things today. Thank you. Can, you. can I ask your thoughts on that same question as well, please? Uh, I think Jan summed it up well, so. <laughs> and anyone else on that one, or have we, we've covered it all? <laughs> um, so I think I, I'd, we've talked about focusing on where we are now. There's obviously a long way to go, but also we, we kicked off, uh, Carl was saying about, you know, let's not forget that we've come a long way too. So, so I think I'd like to just ask you sort of uh, a quick fire round, but I'll ask each of you sort of um, what you think, you know, your thoughts on how far we've come, what's the, the best thing, you know, the most exciting thing about how far we've come, but also what one aspect of industry transformation are you most excited about looking into the future? Um, so, Claire, I'll ask you first. Um, how far we've come. Um, it's interesting, 10 years ago, we were decarbonising without realising it because we were focused on energy efficiency. Um, the use of data to understand how well different technologies and operational actions that we take on ships, how well they um, work together, how well they deliver, I think that has been a fantastic change over the last 10 years. Uh, in terms of things I'm excited about, um, I think a lot of what we've talked about touches on that challenge we have in terms of the future investment horizon of what do you invest in when the future is uncertain. So I think one of the things I'm most excited about is the ability of a, a modular design of a ship uh, to remove that chicken and egg of ship and fuel, where the ship is designed to have energy efficient technologies installed on it to do the best that we can today, but also to be easily retrofitted for whatever fuel or technology comes in the future. And we haven't had a genuinely retrofitable ship design before. Uh, obviously, we've started that with looking at um, LNG. That's what we ship most, so that's what we've looked at. But it's easily applicable to any other ship sector. And I think in terms of accelerating the transition when fuel becomes available, I think that could be a game changer. Thank you. And Carl, how about you? So I, I think we've come actually quite far. When you look at it sort of from three, four years back, if you sort of, would I think we were here today? I said no, because I... I of the characteristics of the business, but we are here. So I think that's the good news. The bad news is that we're still emitting a billion tons of CO2 per year. And, and uh, I have a small apartment in Kensington, and on Saturday I had 34 degrees Celsius in my room. And, and, uh, and coming from, so I represent a Japanese company, but I come from Sweden, and this is the country of Greta Thunberg. And, and I am seriously worried uh, about sort of the, the state of things. And then, sort of a quote from Spider-Man. I mean, with great power comes great responsibility. And we're all people here in this room with a lot of power. And so if I get any excitement is that when mankind is really under a lot of pressure, we can change, but it is we who have to change. And sort of we are the cavalry. Uh, and, and when I saw what we were able to do during, during COVID, and we were actually able to make societal shifts 
Uh, I hope we haven't passed tipping points uh, until we reach that point, but I'm hopeful that in five years' time we're going to look back and say, whoa, we've actually done a lot more than I thought we would do today. On the positive note, on the negative note, I'm seriously worried about our world. Thank you. Um, Constantine, how about you? Well, I have no Spider-Man quote, but um, I, I personally think that you can already see a shift in mindset, and, and that is very important, and that shows that we have taken uh, a few miles into the transition already. Um, we're we here, first topic of the panel is, uh, our first panel topic is decarbonization. It's, it's almost on every, on every topic, on every panel. Um, it's being discussed, things are being done, investments flow into technology, into advancement, into, into all kinds of things. And there is a more collaborative stance in the shipping industry, I would argue, than it was five or ten years ago. Um, because people simply know we can only do it together. Um, to find the right balance in doing it together going forward will definitely be challenging. Um, but, but I personally think if we take it step by step, it's, it's definitely possible. So, so I think we, we have started. Um, we're on the right track. Usually, I would expect the exponential uh, curve. Uh, whether we are at the bottom of that or at the kind of steep end of it, I don't know. Um, there's still a lot to be done. Uh, but I think we can all be excited about the degree of collaboration um, that we see at present um, and, and also, you know, the willingness to invest and to go the extra mile. And I think this is something to, to be excited about for the next uh, five to ten years. Thank you. Knut, uh, how about you? Yeah, I'm very optimistic, I must say, even though I came out a little bit, uh, say, pessimistic <laughs> on the IMO goals for 2030. Um, but I see this as a great opportunity to attract talent to this industry. Um, we know that young, aspiring, talented people like grand challenges, we have them. Uh, we don't have the solutions yet, but um, looking back at the history of shipping, I'm, I'm very confident that we will crack this nut as well. And um, it sets off, and we already see that, uh, a tremendous innovation pace in the industry and not only within the industry, but also collaborating across sectors. So, you know, with that innovation going on, with the, say, attractiveness to young, uh, talented individuals, I think we're in for a maritime renaissance where this industry is really gonna blossom and deal with all of the challenges ahead and, and find good solutions. So, optimistic. Thank you. And Jan. Thanks. Well, I think the sort of refer back to the, the sort of the superpower, and I think that lies in working together uh, and um, uh, really engaging. And I think on our side, engaging with, with our customers, you know, becoming more relevant for our customers. I think is such a critical point, um, and, and this is the opportunity to do that. You know, we have for a long time been working in silos in our industry. And I think we are coming together, uh, which is um, which is excellent. Uh, and, and that brings, I think, a lot of hope. Um, the, the fact that uh, our customers depend on us to decarbonize their supply chain, I think, is, is critical, and therefore we can become more re relevant for them. I think also for investors, it's an opportunity to become much more relevant, because for too long, and I can certainly look at dry cargo and tanker companies, uh, public listed companies are trading below NAV, so the signal from investors are also that you are not a very exciting industry. And, and I think there lies an opportunity. We have to look at our business models. Uh, and I think that um, that excites me, you know, working with our customers, working with our investors to become more relevant 
than we have been in the past. Thank you. That's been really, really interesting. We do have a few moments for a couple of questions from the floor, if there are any. I'm not sure if there's, I think there's a roving mic down here. Good morning, thank you very much. Um, it is scary, but optimistic as well. Um, my background is marine insurance. Uh, I'm a claims director at BMS Group, and I think one of the things that the shipping sector should celebrate the most, or definitely, is the safety record. In the last decade, casualties have decreased by 65%. That's something to be celebrated. But now we are looking at new fuels. Do you think that the shipping companies will be able to hold that good record of safety, which they have because of their safety management culture and regulations, but we don't know the risks involved with new fuels? And as Claire specifically emphasized, how are we to train our seafarers? Claire, do you have any thoughts? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's a very important point, and um, it's interesting. Five years ago, I was talking about decarbonisation at conferences, and no one was talking about safety. So the fact that we are now talking about safety in the context of new fuels is again a very positive step that we've taken forward. Um, you're absolutely right. We need to focus when we are transitioning to using new fuels that it is done very safely. If we look at LNG's safety record as carriage as a cargo has been incredibly safe, LNG is now being used as a fuel, and we've taken the lessons we've learnt from carrying it as a cargo and applied those to that transition to using it as a fuel. We've also done that thus far, I want to touch some wood, very, very safely. When we look at new fuels, Kaihan, you mentioned ammonia, we personally, the Shell, we have great reservations about the use of ammonia as a fuel from a safety perspective uh, because of its toxicity and also particularly in its bunkering. So with any new fuel, we need to look at the safety of the seafarers and the crew on board, but also the interaction between the ship and the shore in the bunkering operations. Um, and we need, to do, we need to put a lot of effort into that in terms of collaboration. That's definitely a very important area where, as an industry, we need to collaborate to get it right. And we don't really know where we're going to end up with the ammonia, just to be perfectly clear. And I think because we all have concerns. But for my previous company, I was with, with Stena. Nine years ago, we developed protocols to manage methanol. Uh, the main criticism at that time was that methanol is poisonous. Well, try drinking a glass of MGO. Uh, it's, it's not very healthy, that either. And, and I, I think it is interesting that 10 years ago, it, it was it was unthinkable to use this chemical as a fuel, and now 10 years later, protocols have been developed, and, and I don't, ammonia is different, I understand that, but, but again, taking some hope that, that through meticulous work and research, uh, actually impossible things are, are possible to do. It's, and, and just to make your other point, just to be a bit sort of happy about things, um, um, Helcom statistics, just because they have longer statistics than everybody else, which is really uh, oil pollution in the Baltic Sea. So for 15 years, touch wood, we've not had one single spill. Can you just imagine an industry which is associated with the Titanic, and once you start measuring the new performance that we now have since a couple of decades back, it's actually quite remarkable. And just because they have a long measuring series, it's, 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 it's phenomenal to empirically see what we've done as an industry. 
Thank you. And we've probably got time for one more question, if there is one. Good morning. My name is uh, Dimitris Patrikios from VSHIPS. I would like to, uh, we said, you mentioned about collaboration, acceleration of uh, the transition, energy transition. Uh, we have in, our, in the industry the scope one and two, three requirements. How you evaluate uh, these uh, requirements in order to accelerate the transition, uh, the energy transition? Well, I can say, so I think the interesting part here is uh, scope three uh, emissions are now coming much more in focus. And uh, I think for shipping that is critical because that's our customers. You know, we are scope three for our customers. And, um, and that actually brings, I think, a lot of hope that um, customers will demand and will actually also have some willingness to pay. Uh, I'm sure we'll have to have a little bit of help, if not a lot of help from re regulation as well. Um, but we can see that the you know, mining companies, if I look at our customer base, are now starting to demand uh, and expect solutions where um, perhaps we're not talking about zero emissions because you know, that's further out in time. But already today, you know, they are asking you know, uh, for reductions of 25 or 30 percent. Uh, so I think scope three emissions are definitely moving much more into, into focus, which of course is our scope one emissions. Uh, so by reducing our customers' scope three emissions, we will also reduce our own scope one emissions, in addition to everything else that we are doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think this has been a fascinating discussion. There's obviously uh, a lot to think about. Um, and thank you so much for coming and, and, and joining the panel. Thank you.